Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to The VIP Jazz Wall Report. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This show is about understanding our American Muslim brothers and sisters better because we live in a world where terror in the name of religion, particularly Islam, seems to stereotype one and all. My guest is Kasim Rashid. Kasim is an international human rights activist and attorney and an author. He published the critically acclaimed book called The Wrong Kind of Muslim, An Untold Story of Persecution and Perseverance. He's also the national spokesperson of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Welcome and salam alaikum, Kasim. Wa alaikum aslam. It's a pleasure to be here, Vip. Sir, how are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? Good. Thank you for coming on the show. Let me get started. There seems to be an increasingly negative attitude by Americans, you know, towards the Arab and Muslim communities. And, and this was supported by a poll that was recently conducted by the Arab American Institute. And the poll indicates a worryingly persistent trend. And one of the key findings was um, that a growing percentage of Americans say that they lack confidence in the ability of individuals from either community, um, Arab or Muslim, to perform their duties as Americans should they be appointed to an important government position. Um, The second finding I found interesting was um, a significant number of Americans, 42% actually, support the use of profiling by law enforcement against Arab Americans and American Muslims. Why do you think this is happening? Well, you're right. These are very disturbing uh, data points. And uh, there's a couple of different reasons why this is happening. I think first and foremost, um, this is not new uh, in American history. Mm. Um, You know, 40 years ago, it was Catholics who were demonized uh, after a long history of persecution in uh, the United States. Uh, before that, it was Jews who were demonized. And even during the Holocaust, Jews and anti-Semitism uh, was rampant in America. Uh, it's still, in fact, uh, unfortunately prominent today as well. Um, so what we're finding with this uh, discrimination or these discriminatory views of Muslims, of Arab Americans, uh, is just unfortunately or, or kind of a trend that we've had in American history. I think we will get over it, and the way we will get over it is the same way uh, we've improved the status of Catholic Americans and Jewish Americans, and that is simply by having conversations, by getting to know Muslims on a personal level. Uh, a recent Pew survey showed that uh, over 60% of Americans, mm. nearly 200 million people, have never once met a Muslim before. And as the old saying goes, people fear what they don't understand or people fear who they don't know. So I think the way to resolve these concerns is uh, for Americans, uh, non-Muslim Americans mm-hmm. and Muslim Americans to continue to find ways to dialogue, to work together. Uh, because once you can break bread together and really look at another person and talk to them face to face, Uh, That does wonders to quell fears and misunderstandings. Okay. Um, Daniel Greenfield, a Shulman Journalism Fellow at the Freedom Center, a New York writer focusing on radical Islam, he wrote an article in frontpage.com, and this was actually in, in, in London. He said the vast majority of Muslims in London support ISIS, and he came up with a figure of about 80%. I mean, I, I think that's stretching it. Um, is that true in the U.S.? 
Absolutely not. I, I think every uh, survey, every uh, data point we've seen mm. uh, demonstrates the overwhelming um, condemnation of ISIS uh, categorically. And I, I'd be willing to bet the exact same is true in the United Kingdom as well. Obviously, I'm not British, so I'm not on the ground in London. Right. But uh, just as someone who studies these trends, I haven't heard a single data point indicating such a, a lopsided support of ISIS anywhere in the world, let alone in the Western world. Um, in the United States, regardless of the sect or affiliation, uh, Sunni, Shia, Ahmadiyya, I've seen consistent condemnation of ISIS, both from people on the ground as well as the scholars and the imams. So, um, that, and, and that's been my experience firsthand as I've had the opportunity to interact with uh, Muslims all over the country. You know, earlier on you were talking about us finding ways of, of breaking bread together and, and, and uh, gaining a better understanding of each other. Um, just from a simple man's point of view, why do we not see a leader of American Muslims publicly condemning the acts of ISIS? Well, I, I think we are seeing those uh, repeatedly on, on numerous occasions. Uh, I've been part of Personally, you know, I belong to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, mm. and uh, we're distinct in that we're Muslims who believe in the Messiah, Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian. We can talk about that in a second, but what I can tell you very clearly is everything from press releases to interviews to articles in Time magazine, uh, the New York Times, uh, we've been at the forefront of condemning ISIS, not only in word, uh, not just an empty condemnation, mm. but also with academic and scholarly uh, education, demonstrating why there's no factual basis behind what ISIS is doing. And then not only there, but we advance to the next step of service to humanity. Uh, we host the annual Muslims for Life blood drive, which is an annual blood drive, an interfaith blood drive, uh, to honor the victims of 9-11. And in honor of the 3,000 lives that were tragically taken on 9-11, mm -hmm. we've raised enough blood donations to save up to 100,000 lives. Um, Where we, are these blood drives conducted? Because, you know, my problem is, as, as an ordinary man uh, on, on Main Street, I don't even see a peaceful protest among the Muslims about the atrocities that um, ISIS bring about. Well, these blood drives are all over the country. You know, your listeners can go to MuslimsForLife.com right now and, mm. and check it out. We, we've held them on Capitol Hill. Uh, members of Congress have donated blood, uh, and it's been a resounding success because we work with Jews, with Christians, with secular organizations. I mean, we will work, we will work with everyone uh, for the simple reason that when you strip away all of our names and labels, ultimately we are all still human beings and we all bleed the same blood. And rather than letting terrorists shed our blood, we want to shed our own blood to save lives. And, and this is what Islam teaches, service to humanity. So it's not just a matter of condemning ISIS by saying they're wrong. Uh, that's the easy way out. Uh, what we're doing is we're going well beyond that and saying not only are they wrong, here's the evidence why they're wrong, and here is what we're doing to show with our actions, how wrong they are. Uh, you know, one of the campaigns I would encourage your listeners to, to Google is the Stop the Crisis campaign. Mm -hmm. This is something done by our youth association, uh, our young men and women, 
you know, the, the, the people that everyone claims is at risk of radicalization. This youth association, uh, you know, kids as young as 15, 16, are organizing these events all over the country at universities, at leading in, uh, institutions, to have an open and candid dialogue about what Islam is and is not. And, and it's an open house. It's a safe place in the sense that you can ask any and all questions you want and without any fear of, of reprisal. This is the dialogue that we're talking about that needs to happen on a more consistent basis, and this is the dialogue that we invite all Americans to, to partake in. The funny thing is, again, you know, from an ordinary man's perspective, I never see this making headline news, that Muslims criticizing ISIS. You're right. And, and the, the question to ask is, why isn't it headline news? If we're out there and everything I'm saying... Is, is it because you're a minority within a minority? No, I, I, I think it, it's because it doesn't sell newspapers. Uh, simple as that. Look, uh, earlier today, or I think last night, uh, the German police arrested four right-wing extremists who were trying to blow up a mosque. Mm. Okay? Now, if that was four Muslims trying to blow up a church, it would be headline news right now. But here you have four right-wing extremists trying to blow up a mosque, and I, I'm quite certain that most of your listeners haven't even heard about this yet. So there is a slant in the way uh, media works, in the way public perception works, that uh, if it has to do with Muslims, suddenly it's headline news. If it doesn't, then it's page 46 uh, of a local small-town paper. And, and so that's the uphill climb we're up against. And that's why I'm grateful for this opportunity to speak with you, because I think more journalists need to show uh, the balance that you're showing uh, and, and, and let Muslims uh, have that uh, opportunity to present their story rather than having their story presented for them. I'm, I'm trying to get some enlightenment here, you know, because your, your campaign, the Stop the Crisis, the, yeah. the campaign to raise awareness against ISIS. Um, within the Muslim community, I mean, how many are there in, in, in America? About I, I try to get figures today, but, you know, uh, it seems to be a vague statistic between three to seven million. Yeah. Uh, so let's accurate. let's say five, uh, okay. pick a number in the middle. Of that, how many would support your campaign? I, I haven't heard any opposition to it yet. Uh, in fact, uh, this is the beauty of this campaign mm -hmm. that uh, it's been successful because we're uh, making an impact on the grassroots level. Uh, we're making an impact with uh, Muslim youth who above all are sick and tired of being labeled as extremists. These are kids who, you know, who are only a couple of years old when 9-11 happened. And so for them to grow up in this reality is infuriating and they want nothing to do with it. They want nothing to do with terrorism. And, and that's why this campaign will continue to grow and continue to be successful. And I have How no old doubt. is this campaign? This can't, well, I mean, ISIS is less than a year old. Uh, this campaign started last summer. Uh, and uh, in fact, here's a significant part about it. This campaign took, out, took on its name last summer. Mm -hmm. But the work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has been doing to counter terrorism, to counter this concept of a violent jihad, is not something that began last year. This is a campaign that began in the late 1800s, 
our community has been at the forefront of combating terrorism and violence for well over 100 years. Well, before you move on, how is the Ahmadiyya Muslim community different from a Muslim community? The Ahmadiyya Muslim community mm. are Muslims who believe in the Messiah Mirza Ghulam Ahmad of Qadian. So you are mm -hmm. a minority within the overall Muslim community? Well, so we have to define the word minority. If you compare any single sect mm -hmm. to the rest of the Muslim world, any sect will be a minority. There's no doubt about that. But when you look at the size of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community yeah. worldwide, we are the world's single largest Islamic sect. We have uh, established over 16,000 mosques in over 200 countries worldwide. Uh, we have tens of millions of Muslims from over 200 nations that are united under His Holiness, the Khalifa of Islam, Mirza Masrur Ahmed. And, and that's significant. We have a caliph. But we how big is your population in America? In the United States, we're, we're quite substantial. Uh, uh, from one organization perspective, we have about 75 chapters mm -hmm. around the country. And uh, our membership is about 20,000. Right. And uh, uh, it, we have about, an additional to the 75 uh, main chapters, we have about 72 youth chapters as well. And, and these are the folks who are taking the lead and driving this fantastic campaign against terrorism and extremism. From the outside looking in, wouldn't it be better just to have the whole Muslim community come together uh, in a campaign to raise awareness against ISIS? Oh, I agree. And, and that's, that's what this campaign is designed to do. This mm. is not a... Uh, a sectarian campaign where we're only allowing certain groups to be a part of it. This is an open campaign for all people, for all uh, uh, sects of Islam to participate. Right. In fact, at our annual conference, which is going to be in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, uh, this August, uh, we invite uh, Muslim leaders from every sect uh, imaginable to come and partake and, and participate. And we've had uh, Shia leaders, Sunni leaders come and stand united on this principle of, of peace, of justice, of anti-terrorism. It's been a wonderful experience for us. You know, if critics say to you that Muslims, yes, they may condemn ISIS for being un-Islamic, um, but they don't see Muslims being patriotic. Uh, the critics might say, um, you defend your faith, but do you defend America? You know, I still remember June, I'm sorry, uh, I still remember January 13th, 1997. Hmm. Uh, that day is significant to me because that was the night that my brother uh, joined the United States Marine Corps and was shipped off to boot camp. And he was in the Marine Corps uh, when 9-11 happened, mm -hmm. and he continued to serve honorably in the Marine Corps after 9-11. And after his five years active duty, he was three years in active duty, he uh, left the Marine Corps, honorably discharged as a sergeant. And uh, to this day, if you uh, dare ask him where his loyalties lie, mm. he will uh, proudly declare that he's a U.S. Marine and his responsibility is to serve this country. And this is not something that he concocted of his own. Prophet Muhammad very clearly said that loyalty to your country or residence mm -hmm. is part and parcel of your faith. You cannot live in a country and not be loyal to it. You must be loyal to the country in which you live.
Well, and, th- that's uh, very credible, and, and I really admire that. But even now, Muslim soldiers remain fairly rare, and you have to admit that, I mean, in some parts of the military. Like in, at West Point, um, I asked some of the Army officials, and they said there were just 24 Muslim cadets out of a total student body of 4,400. Sure. I mean, West Point is one sample size. Uh, There's no doubt about that. I mean, first of all, getting into West Point isn't the easiest thing in the world. But the sheer fact that they're there and the sheer fact that Muslims continue to serve the military and have long served in the military Mm -hmm. uh, is something that we need to take account of. You know, people forget that uh, even during this African slave trade, up to 30% of the Africans enslaved and brought to the United States were Muslims. And so this country was essentially built on the shoulders in part by Muslims as well. Muslims served in, uh, in every major war uh, in service of the United States throughout our country's great history. So, you know, actions speak louder than words. You know, even now, as I'm thinking while I'm talking to you, I can think of 10, 12 people I know personally, mm-hmm. including within my own family, that uh, have either, either served in the military or are serving in some branch of the military, whether it's the Marines, the Army, the Air Force, or the Navy. Um, this is not something that is unique for us, for American Muslims. Uh, you know, serving in our military is part of what we do. This is what Islam uh, not only requires of us, but celebrates as, as a noble and honorable thing. We were talking about uh, finding ways of bridging the gap. I'm going to position the question in two ways. The first one is, what do the people of America need to understand about the American Muslims that they don't understand yet? Well, I think very clearly it's that American Muslims are your fellow Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're your fellow human beings. Um, we have every desire to live in a country peacefully, to live in a country where our children can go to school peacefully. You know, I have two sons, uh, two years old and six years old, uh, where we can have every hope and chance at the American dream that all people want. Um, We are uh, Americans through and through. Uh, And rather than relying on news media or political pundits or uh, people who um, have an agenda, go out and meet your neighbor. Uh, Go out and meet your fellow Muslims. Uh, There's a common concept of the golden rule uh, in all states. Um, And let's embrace that golden rule, let's embrace that concept, uh, and find a way to to dialogue with one another. Um, There's no doubt Mm. that uh, once we do that, we'll begin to realize that what we feared wasn't Muslims, it wasn't Americans, we were feared with our own ignorance. And and I think we have the ability and the courage to rise above that and become a better society by doing so. Okay, so you know what we need to do. Now, you're the national spokesperson for your community. What more do the American Muslims need to do in order to make American people understand them better? Well, I think American Muslims need to continue to remain open in their dialogue. And what do you find in the challenges in the community when you're trying to change mindsets and perceptions of your community? That, listen, this is home now. We're American. Um, We have to carry the American flag. Yeah. Well, I I think, you know, for starters, I think that perception needs to change. It's not a concept that this is home now. Mm. You know, Muslims have been in America 
since before America existed. So uh, there's no doubt that uh, some uh, portion of American Muslim society are immigrants. Mm-hmm. Uh, yours truly speaking, I, I'm an immigrant myself. I, I came here at a very young age. Uh, but there's also no doubt that there are Muslim American families that trace their lineage back hundreds of years in America. So this, this, first of all, this idea that, uh, that Islam is a foreign religion to America, we need to change that perception because that's simply not true. Historically and factually, that's not true. Islam has been here uh, by some historians before Christianity arrived, before Judaism arrived. But you know what, um, something, I mean, something, just an ordinary person like myself, Yeah. Um, everything can't be about religion. Um, like if you, know, you and I are going to be having coffee or, or, or whatever, I mean, we're not really going to be necessarily just talking about religion. We're going to be talking about the American way of life, uh, the American culture, uh, maybe even Kim Kardashian. Um, but, I, I doubt that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, the, the, the focus cannot be religion all the time. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, and there's some, something called the American culture. There's a certain sense of just sort of being one as opposed to parts of us trying to be one. Definitely. No, I, I agree. And I think that's where the, the second focus uh, that I mentioned where mm. uh, we need to find a way to serve humanity together. You know, these blood drives that I talked about, that's right. an example of serving humanity together. Our youth association uh, met with over 200 members, met with members of Congress last year and this year. We, this is an annual Muslim Youth on the Hill that we have uh, event where we meet with members of Congress. And uh, the campaign has been to stop hunger in America. One in six Americans are going to bed hungry. And so our Muslim youth leadership around the country met with members of Congress and said, hey, look, we don't want anything from you, but... We want to let you know that we have a 3,500 membership strong youth association. Mm-hmm. We are here to help serve our fellow Americans. What can we do? Create the opportunities for us. You know, give us a direction. Tell us what you need from us so we can help feed our fellow Americans. And our goal is to feed at least 1 million Americans who, are, who would otherwise have gone hungry every, every year. And this is just the beginning. This is the kind of uh, branding that we want to demonstrate with Islam, not as a marketing gimmick, but as a reality. Because from an Islamic point of view, every Muslim has two responsibilities, their private worship of God and their public service of humanity. The private worship, whatever people believe, let them believe. That's not our concern. Our concern is that if you're hungry, we want to feed you. If you're cold, we want to uh, get you some clothing. If you're out, uh, out in the street, we want to find a place for you to live. That's what Islam uh, not only requires of us, mm. but celebrates that we do on a consistent basis. If we're not doing that, then we are failing our obligation as Muslims, as Americans, and as human beings. That's the focus that we want to drive home on a consistent basis from here on forward. And that's what we've been doing for over a century. You know, being in the business of media, um, PR is everything uh, in terms of public relations. And it also creates perception. You know where the biggest challenge for me as an ordinary person is that ISIS fight in the name of Islam. You guys save in the name of Islam. I get confused. 
And I understand, you know, and 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 it, it's a very noble cause with the donating the blood and 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 feeding people and things like that. The immediate crisis is ISIS, and I would love to see the whole youth band together and attack what's critical first, which is this whole perception of uh, because ISIS keep fighting in the name of religion. And you guys need to overpower what they are trying to do. I mean, their PR is brilliant. Well, their their PR is free, right? I mean, uh, everyone here has heard of this so-called leader Mm -hmm. of ISIS. uh, And he came to the scene 10 months ago. Uh, He hasn't so much as shown his face because he's a coward and a monster. Mm -hmm. Uh, But everybody knows about him because he issues one edict and suddenly every major media headline picks it up and puts it on the front page. Wouldn't that be so powerful if you exactly said all that on behalf of the Mahdiya Muslim community and then issued a press release on that? How many more press releases do you want? You can go to alislam.org, click on the press section, you'll find over 500 press releases that we've issued. His Holiness the Khalifa of Islam, Mirza Masrur Ahmed, leads an international caliphate that has run uninterrupted for over a hundred years. And not only does he lead tens of millions of Muslims in over 200 countries worldwide, Mm -hmm. but now think about this. ISIS is a small band of rogue individuals that popped up 10 months ago that maybe has 25, 30,000 people in one part of the world. I'm telling you we have over uh, 25, 30 million people all over the world and that, let alone 10 months, we've been around for over 100 years. And we've never had a single act of religious violence, not even one. And this is despite facing intense persecution, boycott, and murder. We've never once even retaliated. On the contrary, we've perpetually and continually done everything in our power to serve humanity. We have hundreds of free schools, hundreds of free hospitals. Uh, We've dedicated literally hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars and hours into serving people of all faiths and of no faith simply because this is what Islam obliges us to do. But the majority but no one, of, that, of that money would go to Muslims, right? No, not at all. Not, not in the least bit. We, we, we're in over 200 countries. You know, Muslim majority countries are about 50, 55 countries. We're in over 200 countries worldwide. You name a country, we're there. Uh, we've set up hundreds of schools all over Africa. Um, uh, and, and, and the goal behind these schools is not to preach Islam, these are secular institutions that are open to anyone and everyone. Mm. And it teaches a secular uh, 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 curriculum designed to prepare our youth for an educated future. We're we're particularly trying to target areas that are in uh, severe famine or severe poverty, and areas where girls don't have access to education, because our goal is to get especially young girls educated, because that's how you strengthen a society. But the reason why I'm saying all this is that despite all this, for over a century, people have heard about this terrorist in Iraq and Syria, and they wonder where are the Muslims that condemn this. Well, I think the question they should be asking is why isn't media reporting on them? Why aren't politicians and leaders pointing to them as an example? Because most of your money, I guess, is going towards feeding and educating as opposed to uh, fighting the terror. Just guessing. but that, that, that's, that's exactly it. How do you fight terrorism best? 
by presenting a better ideology, by presenting a superior, more pluralistic, more tolerant, more educated ideology. You're not going to beat a terrorist by dropping bombs. All that's going to do, you know, that how, how well has a policy worked for America the last, you know, 50 years? It hasn't. You defeat terrorism with education, with service to humanity. You win the hearts. It's by winning the hearts that you're going to ultimately win the minds. You cannot force peace. You cannot drop a bomb and expect peace to, to result of it. And, and, and the reason why we've spread to 200 countries isn't by force. It's by education. It's with peace. The reason why not a single member of our tens of millions of Muslims have ever joined a terrorist organization is because once you fall in love with humanity, once you fall in love with God, once you have a leader like His Holiness, the Khalifa of Islam, Masrur Ahmed, once you see what Islam is capable of doing to a person as far as their personal morals and their, their love of humanity, there's no ideology on earth that can pull you away from that. And we're living examples of it. And that's what I want to emphasize. This isn't just mere theory. We are living examples of it, breathing examples of it, and we're inviting you, come see what we're all about. Scrutinize us. The same book, us. the same Notice book. Under a microscope. The same book that, the, the Holy Quran, uh, the same text that you use to enforce and encourage love and, and, and compassion is being used by ISIS to enforce war and terror. I, I, would, I would very candidly submit mm. that the testimony of the French journalist is applicable here. This French journalist, his name escapes me, but he was a hostage under ISIS for about nine months. And after he was released, or he escaped, I'm not sure how he got out, he gave an interview, and in the interview he said they didn't even have the Quran. They did not even have the Quran. So these aren't people who are educated or scholarly or know what's going on or what's in the Quran. Mm -hmm. These are frustrated, ignorant youth who have been manipulated, who have been uh, deceived by corrupt uh, uh, leadership, by uh, uh, corrupt economic policies, by corrupt social policies. The Quran, and, and for, your, for your listeners who may not know, there's only one Quran. The Arabic is one. There's no two versions of the Quran. Right. And so even if some terrorists were to claim that the Quran endorses their violence, I can say with conviction that not only can I prove them wrong through basic logic and fact, I can prove them wrong by looking at the scriptural interpretation, but I can show that, in fact, by example, by our example for over a century, and nothing in the Quran endorses violence and terrorism. As Ahmadi Muslims, we adhere to every single verse of the Quran, without exception, every single one. And I can say with complete conviction, there is not a single permission in the Quran anywhere mm -hmm. to commit terrorism or to cause harm to other people. Kasim, just wanted to ask you, have you ever organized an anti-ISIS protest or a march? You know, like you have the one million men march and things like that. Well, you know, our protest are, is, is the Stop the Crisis campaign. Right. So our would you ever organize a march? You know, so this, this idea of, a, of, of civil disobedience or, or these, these public marches mm -hmm. is actually something that uh, was never endorsed by, by Prophet Muhammad uh, himself. Um, even at a time mm. in early Islam in, in Mecca, 
when the Muslims were being vehemently persecuted, even then Prophet Muhammad forbade this, these public marches and public disobedience because for the very simple reason that the threat uh, that they may escalate to violence is always present. And so what Prophet Muhammad prescribed was that here's an opportunity for you to show your protest by continuing to serve humanity, by publicly serving humanity, by privately praying to God for, for help and guidance. That is your protest. By educating yourself. You know, when you talk about what the word jihad is, jihad means struggle. He said the true jihad, that the greatest jihad, is that struggle against evil mm-hmm. by reforming yourself. But, but so our, our goal is to show our struggle by not only reforming ourselves, but by struggling against poverty, against injustice, against disease, against famine, and serving those who are in need, and showing them by example that this is what Islam actually stands for. But when I say protest, I, I, I don't mean something that could insinuate or cause violence. Um, just maybe a march, uh, a, a, a moment of silence against ISIS, something that looks and attracts attention. Um, because obviously you, you, you guys do all the right things, uh, very charitable, very educational, um, and, and, and inspirational. But what I'm trying to yeah. do is is capture the attention of the local man on, on, on Main Street through your presence. That that's that's where I'm 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 going with this. Yeah, no, and, and to that extent, uh we in twenty years ago mm-hmm. uh our the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Mirza Tahir Ahmed, established a an international disaster relief uh, organization called Humanity First. Mm. And what Humanity First does is it provides immediate disaster relief Mm. to uh, areas stricken by earthquakes. Right now we're in Nepal, for example. We were in Haiti. What has that got to do with ISIS? I was getting to your point. Mm. that Every year we have a -a walkathon where we have a public march uh, and the money raised from these marches Mm goes to places that have suffered horrible atrocities. Right now, we're using money from these walks to build schools in Syria for children who have been orphaned or whose homes or schools have been destroyed by ISIS. So we are having these public marches, Mm -hmm. and we're inviting people to participate to help raise money uh, and and, and donate to this charitable cause and, and, and find a way to replace the ideology of ISIS with education, with schools. And these are schools, again, that provide secular education. You know, I I get it, I get it. But the thing is, just from the outside looking in, I would love to see all of you making a stand by taking a stand uh, on something very specific. would, Would the critics say that you don't do it because you're scared of retaliation by ISIS? Yeah, I think the reason I'm having difficulty um, agreeing with you here mm. is because, first of all, um, we are no more responsible to apologize for ISIS than uh, a Christian is responsible to apologize for the KKK. Or no, 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 not at all. Is, no, no, no. But, 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 but where I'm getting right. to you was right from the beginning of my show when I said uh, that, you know, there seems to be a perception problem. And right, I address right. you guys as American Muslim brothers and sisters, of course, getting to of know course, you yeah, better. Yeah, I, no, uh, yeah, you, I just, I just feel for you guys because you guys are being stereotyped. 
So what I'm trying to say is looking from the outside in, where is my perception going wrong because I don't see certain things? And I guess if I saw it, I'd say, oh, I'm glad they're with us. They're on our side. Uh, when, the, well, when you are taking a stand on, on a specific thing. Um, and, and, of course, you, it, is, it is very creditable that you do all the charity work and, and, and for great causes with, with all the leaders. One thing that works against you is all the things you do don't make headline news. I get that. Um, but the second thing is obviously that whole perception of where the average American knows that you're with them because they see you. And, and I guess that's where actions of a different kind do speak louder than words. So I, I think that, that concept right there, that perception of how do we know you guys are with us, I think that's, the, that's a very uh, negative perception in and of itself. That's a very problematic perception in mm. and of itself. And it's an but it example. exists. Yeah, well, it, and, and that's, that's my point. It exists, uh, and it's a completely unjust point of view. Mm. You know, it's no different than uh, if Muslims started suddenly saying, well, how do I know that white person uh, is with uh, me and not the KKK? Um, uh, that's a problem, right? I mean, we, we need to stop thinking... Uh, negatively and stereotyping an entire demographic or an entire religion. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a lawyer. I, I, I love the fact that in our country, a person is innocent and, uh, until proven guilty. Right. And the court of public opinion needs to recognize that as well. If there's a, a Muslim living in America, they have every right and every freedom and uh, every protection against being assumed as negative as, as, as anyone else. You know, so I, I think the, the better question is this that American Muslims are active in the media, we are active in the military, in the U.S. military, we are uh, uh, educated. The average American Muslim has a higher degree of education than the average American period. Mm -hmm. uh, we participate in the political process. Um, we do everything uh, a quote-unquote red-blooded American is supposed to do. Uh, I've given you some wonderful examples of how we're donating blood. We're raising money for uh, people who are victims of terrorism. We are literally having these walks and, and marches through the streets. We are speaking to members of Congress. We are feeding people who are, who are hungry. What I would submit to you, Vip, is that there are few other religious organizations that are this actively involved on a national scale, on a consistent scale, than the American Muslim community. Um, yet, despite all that, uh, one lunatic uh, opens fire, and suddenly, you know, 1.6 billion Muslims are uh, put on trial. It's that perception mm -hmm. that we need to change. We will continue to do our level best to serve humanity relentlessly, night and day. Uh, but here's where I uh, implore and encourage uh, uh, my fellow non-Muslim Americans to extend that olive branch and get to know a Muslim. 200 million Americans don't know a single Muslim, have never, have never, never met one. Um, we need to change that. We need to find a way to get together, break bread together, because that's how we're going to ultimately break down that stereotype. No amount of marching in the streets is going to do that. We need to get together, have a conversation, drink a cup of coffee. Here's an open invitation uh, you know, to every one of your listeners. Um, go to MuslimsForPeace.com. Find a local mosque and give them a call. And I assure you, we will not only invite you in, 
will have a great meal together, great cup of coffee, and be able to answer any and all questions that you could possibly have. Have you, because you are vocally anti-ISIS, your, your, your followers of your community are vocally anti-ISIS, have you or your community um, ever felt unsafe? Have you ever received threats from radical Muslim organizations? Uh, I, I've received and I regularly receive threats from uh, extremists, mm-hmm. not only extremists ascribing to Islam, but extremists who are Christian, extremists who are atheists. Uh, I've received uh, death threats, uh, threats of violence, threats mm-hmm. of harm, um, and, and these are ongoing. Um, but what that teaches me about those ideologies is that in every ideology, there's a few bad apples. Uh, and those individuals represent only themselves. I see those as opportunities to um, look at what the concerns people have are and find ways to address those concerns. In some situations, uh, I've actually managed to get people to understand that, hey, it's not me you're angry at, and responding with violence is not the way to go. And, and, and some of these uh, individuals who initially emailed me very antagonistically, very aggressively, mm-hmm. uh, later said, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't realize what I was doing, but thank you for the opportunity uh, to have this dialogue. Um, and so that's where it really gets, gets down to it. You're going to have people who are upset, who are hurt, um, who are confused, who are unsure. But that's really where the dialogue is all the more critical. I, I firmly believe the vast majority of people in America are good, genuine, honest people. And they simply haven't had the opportunity to understand what Islam actually is. And my submission to them is Is it more simple. important that they understand Islam or is it more important that they understand whose side a Muslim is on? Are they American? See, I, I, there you go again with the whose side they're on. I mm. mean, I, I think the, the, sh- the sheer. I'm just. I mean, that, that's what like some of my American friends would say. Yeah, I, I mean that, that is a, no, that is a fact of life. Although it might sound unfair, but that is exactly what exists on the street. Right. So I, I think I would ask people to recognize that it is entirely unfair to do that. It's 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 the same thing as uh, assuming that uh, someone who's German is a Nazi. Uh, it's nonsense to, to believe that. It's the same thing as uh, during uh, World War II putting uh, Japanese Americans into concentration camps. I mean, it's unconscionable. Um, so we need to move beyond that. Our moral fiber, our moral courage needs to move beyond that. We need to stop um, uh, being judge, jury, executioner based on what uh, we see in the media. Mm-hmm. You know, and I keep going back to this. This is where dialogue is so important. It's so critical because I can preach all day. I can work and shed uh, my own blood and donate blood to, to people who need it all night. But until you and I can have an actual conversation and connect, and until I can show you, uh, hey, here are my kids, uh, maybe they can play with their kids, until our spouse, uh, my, my wife can meet your wife or our spouses can connect, until that happens, it's still just a theory. It's still just an abstract. You know, uh, there, there's a lot and of And unfortunately, beauty. it's still a perception. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, but, but what I would really say with confidence is that it's a perception that is within our control to dismantle. And the actions that are required to dismantle that are very simple. And that is 
just talk to me. Have a conversation with me. Let's get a cup of coffee together. You know, people can follow me on Twitter, email me. Um, I will buy you a cup of coffee if that means that I can be your friend. You know, <laughs> if we can have that time to spend together and talk and you can just air out your grievances, let's do it because that's what it's going to take uh, for us to, to, to mend as a society, for us to grow and develop as a society. This is not a fancy fix. It's a very simple very straightforward, very honest fix, what, and I think that we can do it together. What are the challenges you're finding in recruiting people to your point of view, in young Muslims? I mean, are mosques becoming a breeding ground for radicalization? Are you finding those challenges? Uh, certainly not in America. I mean, the vast majority of my experience has been in America. Mm. I have not seen that here. I've, I've, I've been fortunate to speak at a variety of Muslim conferences, mm-hmm. uh, to speak at dozens of universities uh, and, and uh, places of worship around the country. And I can probably count one or two occasions where uh, a Muslim youth uh, expressed confusion uh, about, uh, you know, what does Islam teach on, uh, on ex- uh, subject or Y subject, which is normal, right? No, not every kid is going to be a scholar, no, nor should they expect to be. Right. Um, but I've never once uh, in my, you know, over a decade of doing this, uh, seen a single Muslim express any kind of desire to harm America or themselves or anything like that at all. Uh, but frankly, even if I did, uh, what does that prove? It, 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 would, it would prove that it's a kid who's confused. It's, it's no different uh, than... Uh, um, you know, the the psychopath who shot up uh, the, the Batman movie theater or the, the, the psychopath who, who shot up uh, the Sandy Hook Elementary School. Mm-hmm. You're going to have those. You know, we need to recognize that these individuals represent themselves, uh, nobody else. And uh, we, we do that by having that open and honest dialogue. And, and that's what we're inviting all Americans of all faiths to engage in. Well, you're very, int- you're very into dialogue, and, and that's led to your new book that's going to come out called Talk to Me, ironically. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, uh, well, what's it about? Talk to Me is a wonderful project I've been working on with uh, my, several other scholars and writers uh, where I have writers who are Christian, who are Muslim, who are black, white, Latino, uh, atheist, uh, telling their personal stories, their real-life stories of how they overcome uh, discrimination, how they, uh, they are overcoming discrimination uh, and bigotry and fear and terrorism, and how much more work there is to, still to be done. Uh, it's a nonfiction, uh, narrative-style book mm-hmm. where we talk about interfaith dialogue, we talk about interracial dialogue, uh, we talk about the importance of parenting, of good leadership. Uh, and we talk but about in, a, in a nutshell, I mean, it's it's just about living well across all faiths? Uh, it, not just all faiths, but all races and cultures as well. Uh, so the, the, the subtitle of the book is The Five Conversations We Need to Have But Aren't. So it's an appeal to people to step out of their comfort zones mm-hmm. and to actually have a dialogue and talk to those who they don't understand, who they don't know find a way to build that bridge of understanding through dialogue, through a personal connection. But you can talk and still agree to disagree. Absolutely. And, and I think that's the, that's the key element here that, uh, that, that I really want to drive home, mm-hmm. that it's not about uh, getting somebody to convert to your point of view. It's about recognizing another person for who they are after talking to them 
rather than assuming you know based on what media tells you. And when is it out? Uh, Talk to me will be coming out uh, in November of this year. Uh, people can follow me on Facebook or on Twitter for updates, which will be coming out regularly as well. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Uh, uh, best way is uh, uh, you know, through Facebook, uh, my author page, Author Qasim Rashid, or on Twitter at uh, Muslim IQ. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective with us, Qasim. It's been my pleasure, but thank you for having me today. Kudahaf is my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. A special shout out of thanks to my dream team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Your comments and your followers so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jaswell Report. I wish you and your loved ones a fabulous evening, and until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.